Save big on Brunch for Mom, all in the Kroger app. Get 16-ounce packs of flavorful Angus 90% Lean Ground Sirloin for $4.99 each with a digital coupon. Then buy two, get two free on 12 packs of delicious Coca-Cola, Pepsi, or 7-Up, all with your card. Shop these deals at your local Kroger today. Or tap the screen now to download the Kroger app to save big today. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Prices and product availability subject to change. Restrictions apply. See site for details. If I had one term to describe Abby Gugubanda, it would be straight hustler. When we first met her in 2016, she was featured on the Black Expat website while living in Riyadh, Saudi Arabia. And today, her story still remains one of the most popular ones on the site. The South African native has a story that is almost unreal. But the reality is, through hard work, determination, and sheer grit, she's charted a completely unconventional path. She went from a childhood marked with struggle during apartheid South Africa to managing the lives of some of the most wealthy people in the world. Abby stops by the Global Chatter today to talk about what she's been up to since she left Saudi Arabia. And trust me, be prepared for the craziness. Welcome to the latest episode of the Global Chatter. I am here with Abby Gugu Banda. That's that's all the names, at least, that I referenced her by. And if you've been around the Black Expat for a while, you will know that she was one of our very early interviews back when we launched in 2016. And if you if you read her story, you'd know that. Abby originally is from South Africa, and she told probably one of the most interesting stories that we've ever seen about how she was raised in apartheid South Africa, and really by hustle and grit and determination has built out a very successful career for herself. And so we are so glad that we've got her on the podcast today, because I tell you, if if you're fortunate to get her and and have a conversation with her, you either learn something or you laugh a lot. So (laughs) welcome, Abby. (laughs) Thank you so much for having me. You're making me sound more interesting than I am. But I appreciate that. <laughs> I don't know why everyone says that. <laughs> I'm only telling people y'all's actual intros. <laughs> and people go, you're more interesting than I am. I'm like, no, no, you're you're pretty interesting. I, and, I, and I said this to Abby offline, but she has probably one of the most read interviews we've had on the site. And we've done quite a few interviews, but I think it's just, I, I, I think it really is a testimony to the uniqueness of her story and just her own, her own work ethic and, and grit. And so I'm, I, I am glad that she's on. So I want to kind of pick up kind of post interview. If you, you know, for those who, who've been kind of following along, um, she, uh, when we first were chatting with her, she was in Saudi Arabia. She was living in Riyadh, had this amazing job working with the Royals. <laughs> um, and I, you know, for the people who don't know, Really quickly, what were you doing in Saudi Arabia? Um, in Saudi Arabia, I was working as a part of a, a big team. There were 250 of us um, as a whole, but I was part of the management team that helped run the seven palaces, palaces that belong to um, the royal family there. So basically, I was making sure that the, day, the day-to-day runnings 
of the several palaces were on point. Um, all the homes were ready when the principal, which is what we call our employers, um, the principal really could move from one palace to the other seamlessly without feeling like he's in a different home. So that was basically my job, just to ensure seamless movement between one place to the, the other and making the principal's life as easy as possible. And so for those who don't know, what, what is your exact sort of job title? Job title will be called estate management. Now, in terms of what somebody owns, if someone owns one home, it becomes house manager. If someone has several estates, maybe like a house and a private jet and a yacht, then it becomes estate management because you're essentially managing more than just one home. Um, if someone owns a palace, then you become a palace manager, castle, castle manager. So it's basically depending on what the principal has or owns, the job title becomes that. Now, if you're working on an, maybe if you're not in a home office, some people would run their homes from their work offices, then you become called a, a personal assistant who actually handles the home stuff. So, wow. yeah. Mm -hmm. Okay, so you said castle manager. Okay, first of all, I don't know how many of us actually know anyone who has a castle or worked with anyone who owns a castle. No, not really. Well, I, you know, I don't know whether to call the estate in, in England a castle. I mean, it was, it was located, you know, amongst other castles, the Glimpton, estate, Glimpton Park Estate. It's basically the whole town that has a massive, massive um, home, which could qualify as a castle. Um, so the, the, one of the princes that I worked with owned that. So yeah, I, I guess I do know somebody. <laughs> no, this is what I mean by she has these crazy stories that she thinks yes. are like completely normal. Most of us are like a castle. <laughs> so how did yeah. you, I, mm -hmm. I guess once again, folks can read the interview that we did, but just a very mm -hmm. quick brief update. How did you get into this type of work? Because you, you are obviously a black woman. This mm -hmm. is not necessarily something that we see on this scale. Yes. How did you really get into this? Okay, so this answer is going to be in two parts, and I'm very passionate about answering that question about how I got into it. Um, let me just, you know, the first part, I, I came in the U.S. as an au pair. Basically, what that is, is it's a cultural exchange program. You, you know, it's for people who are ages, I think, I don't know what ages it ends now, maybe 27, but from age 18 to 27, you have to have at least a high school diploma have a driver's license and you live with an American family, they give you a little stipend and you help them with their kids while you get to travel around the U.S., you know, and um, kind of learn about the culture. Um, there's a visa that's specific to this. It's a J-1 visa, which basically even people who work in, you know, some people can come in and work in country clubs. Some people can work in, uh, in hotels. Mm -hmm. And um, yeah, part of the J-1 visa, of course, includes the OK program. Um, so that's how I came into the, into the country to begin with. And then I, I happened to be in people's homes who are very wealthy. Um, from the OPEC program, I moved on to being an nanny. The only experience, work experience I had, despite the fact that I had, you know, had an education back home, I had not worked. Um, I came in and then I went from the OPEC program to being a nanny. This is where everything changed because the family that I was with had several homes and we moved around from one home to the next. And with more trust that they had in me, they started allowing me to manage, you know, more than just handling their kids. The kids were growing, so they were going to school. While the kids were in school, 
you know, I'd help out with booking their trips, paying their bills, making sure that the beach house is ready for when they were going there during the season, um, the summer season. So that's how I basically got into it. And one day I was sitting and, you know, sourcing through their mail and I came across a magazine, had a really nice cover. It's actually, I don't know if I can say the name of the magazine. Can I? It's Departures Magazine. Basically, the people who get Departures Magazine are people who have an American Express Platinum card and up. So obviously the family had that card and they were getting this as a monthly subscription. And I happened to go through it. I mean, I love beautiful things. So when I paged through it, I came across the Spotlight Academy in, in the Netherlands. And, you know, they were basically describing the job of what butlers do, butlers slash estate managers. And I'm like, but this is what I'm doing right now in this job. But these people are making six figures. I'm not. Yeah. So that's basically how my passion was ignited because I already had five years of experience with this family, but I was just being paid as a nanny while doing all the other work. Yeah. So then I basically picked up the phone, called up in, you know, um, an agency in New York, and they were so shocked that I, first of all, I didn't know about the job. Mm-hmm. Secondly, that, you know, I could actually work and, and take care of kids and do all that I had been doing. I'm not going to say I was being exploited because I believe God works in a miraculous way. That was me getting the necessary experience that I needed to move on to being in estate, ma- to being in estate management. That's my part one of yeah. how, how do you get in? This is how, that's how I got in now. Um, during this entire time of working, you know, you get to socialize, you get to start dating people and, you know, they ask you, what do you do for a living? And at that time I was working as a nanny and the response from specifically people in the U.S. will be, oh, you're doing that slave-ish, let me not use the word. But at that time, so it made me very conscious because I, I was just like, okay, so this is not a prestigious job, I suppose, you know. So then you kind of go into your little shell and you're like, okay, I guess I'm kind of like the, the bottom, you know, the lowest of the lows in terms of, in terms of career because I'm kind of associated with, you know, I guess the very um, hurtful history of, of, of black people and, 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 and white America, which is where unfortunately, or fortunately, most of the big billionaires are. They're not people who look like us. So if you're going to be working either as a nanny or as an estate manager, you are essentially going to be in a home of somebody who's of a different color and the image there is not one that is attractive to a lot of African-Americans. Their whole association of somebody being in a white person's home is kind of clouded by the, the, the dark history that is behind from movies like The Help. I mean, we've seen it all. Yeah. So people kind of still, even right now, there isn't a lot of uh, people who look like me in this line of work um, because there is that association. Nobody really cares that most people who do this job are white men. You know, most people who do this job mm. is, you know, it's predominantly the image of a butler slash estate manager is a, a white man in a suit standing with a tray or whatever. Now that, you know, at, at this point in time, it's evolved into more than just standing in a corner with a, a tray. It's more like you have to be computer savvy. You have to know uh, everything about luxury brands. You have to understand how to book a yacht, how to get a private jet, how to you know, purchase a hundred million dollar castle or a palace for somebody. So those are things that are now, it's, it's more um, on the desk than you standing outside with a tray serving somebody. So I think the understanding that people have of the, 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 the line of work that I do is that you're running around after somebody like a snake. Mm. You know, I, I'm, I'm not, I'm, I'm, I'm sitting down on a computer every day 
um, just making sure that everybody has what they need and everything runs seamlessly and bills are paid and things are booked. So you get a choice between, um, you know, whether you want to be physical, you want to be the one who does the tables or you're serving, you want to be a chef, you want to be the tech guy who, who handles all the tech systems. So there's a lot of, there's a variety of work um, within the estate management slash household industry that people are not aware of. Yes. So, man, you said a lot, and I'm, I'm really interested in your perspective, especially as someone, you are South African, right? Yes. And, and even what you said about mm-hmm. kind of the views that maybe some Black folks in the U.S. had towards what you were doing. Yes. Um, just for clarification, where in South Africa did you grow up? Durban. Okay. And... Mm-hmm. Obviously, not just your friends here. You, you have a lot of friends everywhere. People Absolutely. do know what you do. Is it mm-hmm. still the same image in South Africa, kind of that negative connotation? Because looking at it, look, sort of look, I hate to say looking down on it, but looking at it as domestic work or nanny work, and obviously you've already alluded to it. You do have a degree. Yes. Yes. Is it still, do you still kind of fight that same bias even with people back in South Africa, or is it kind of viewed a little bit differently? I think I've, I've glamorized it, actually. <laughs> okay. Girl, I, like I said, you're always good for the hot takes. Yeah. I have. I feel like I, at some point, um, I, I was in my 20s making six figures and feeling ashamed of what I was doing for a living. Mm. So I, I figured this, is, this, you know, this, this can't be. This can't be. You can't be telling me that you know, you're, you're a chartered accountant and you're better than me when I'm making... Not that everything is about money, it's about fulfillment as well. I was totally fulfilled in what I did. I was happy. I loved what I, what I was doing at the time, you know. And at the same time, you know, you come across somebody who's, a, you know, a, a lawyer or a doctor, and you kind of feel like, well, uh, I don't want to tell you what I do, but we can, we're living in the same environment. We have the same lifestyle. We're all thriving in our line of work. Yeah. So there was that before and then i i decided i decided that i'm not going to allow somebody's views of what i do make me feel some type of way about myself so i decided i started to put a spotlight on what it is mm-hmm. you know because i mean to me it was pretty interesting i was traveling the world i still am well not now because of covid, COVID. <laughs> yes but here i am on private jets and 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 and, and yachts and mansions and being ashamed of what i'm doing so all I started doing was just like, I'm on a private jet, take a picture, which is, which is my life, you know? So by shining a light on what my day-to-day looked like in, the, in my line of work, it started to not look as slave-ish, hmm. you know, as some people were thinking. Now, in South Africa, it's still, it's still bad. It's hmm. still bad because I see it every day on Twitter. There's a, I don't know if you, you've seen Malcolm and Tendi. There's this, there's this um, white guy in South Africa who has his, uh, his housekeeper, Tembi. They have videos of each other yelling at each other. She's very sassy. Tembi is like answering back. And it's, it's, it's comedic. It's fun. And so there was a question whether Malcolm is exploiting Tem, uh, Tembi for, for clicks on TikTok or if um, you know, Tembi is actually happy or if she's ha- she has any choice in the matter. And this is what I pointed out because everybody was just like, Tembi is being exploited. This is bad. You should probably doesn't really want to be in these videos. And I said to them, when you work in somebody's home, they hire you. It's, it, this is your boss. Some people don't even know what their housekeeper's names are. They want their homes clean. They want their, bed, their beds turned up at, at night. They want their clothes washed. They want everything done. They don't care who your name is, what your story is. 
for that man, for Malcolm to take such a, a, a friendly approach to, to dealing with her housekeeper, even having a personal relationship with him, says so much more about the work environment that that, that lady works in. So instead of feeling sorry and sad, think of it this way. What kind of relationship do you have with your employer in your office? Can you even say hi and have a good laugh? Does he bring you a bottle of wine, which is what Malcolm does to Tembi on Friday. He has a bottle of wine, enjoy your weekend. The relationship dynamic between you and your employer is what determines your work environment or your happiness ultimately because you can be depressed in a beautiful office, in a corner office space because the people you work for are never satisfied with what you're doing or they're just not giving you the opportunities and you're hitting a glass ceiling and you can't really get to where you're trying to go. Or you could be working in somebody's home, getting paid really great, having really great perks, getting food, like, you know, all your meals taken care of, your apartment paid for, your car paid for, which is what I've had for almost, you know, over a decade. I've had people do everything for me. And, you know, that's, I don't know how I'm supposed to view that as something negative. Mm. So, yeah, the, the, the apartheid um, echoes are still there in, in South Africa. It's even worse. Like, it's, it would be so much harder for me to, do, to get people from South Africa to do what I do than it is to convince uh, probably someone in the U.S. Um, because there's still that image that, you know, our parents used to you know, work as domestic, so we're trying to do better. Anything but domestic. And this mm. is what I do is considered, dom you know, dom domestic work. So... Yeah. You know, uh, yeah, I think I, my, my, what I've done over the years is kind of shine a little bit of, give a different perspective of what it is from the inside than being outside and feeling sorry for people working homes. Understand that this is a dignified career as well. So I, I, I love what you're saying because man, whew, mm -hmm. like you just like broke down representation, right? Yes, and, 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 it, and it's crazy because you, mm -hmm. in telling both the US and South Africa, you really yeah. are talking about sort of the class differential that existed and, yeah. and the lack of opportunities that existed for blacks, whether in the yes. US at a certain period, also yeah. in South Africa and, mm -hmm. and the stigma, I would almost imagine Absolutely. that is with the work you do because yeah. I could imagine if you say yeah. I'm a nanny or I'm I'm in some kind of domestic role. Yes, yes. All because all media has shown us, mm -hmm. plus all what we have seen yes. in our own personal lives, mm -hmm. we don't we do not think about <laughs> someone working, for example, with someone who's ultra wealthy Absolutely. and it and and it is a good relationship. Right. Absolutely. And, and honestly, someone having a little bit more agency, because I think when yeah. media has shown us, it's almost domestic roles were the only thing that were available. Mm -hmm. And so I think in many ways, like, you, why would you choose that? Why right. would you choose that? Like, it's, it's almost like, why would you volunteer to be in an exploitative situation? And that's not what it is. We have rights like everybody else. The, every, the HR, you know, every, everything is handled legally. There's contracts. Like you can't really, it's, it's not that environment that people assume that it is anymore. Um, and the funny thing is all the, somehow this backfires for black, for black women or black people, you know, who are not coming into this. You have, first of all, you have different role, you have different uh, sides to this. You have Hollywood celebrities who are ultra wealthy. And then you got all these people that you don't see in the background, like the assistants, which are usually, you know, blonde white girls, you know, running around and making six-figure salaries and traveling the world for free. 
nobody really you know sees that as something negative it's always like oh my god it's great but essentially that's domestic work because mm. you are you are in their home you know i remember because i i worked for this hollywood celebrity and she had an assistant and then she had me and then she had nannies and so when we were moving from one place one home to another we got um we got we got put up in Susan Sarandon's house. She was best best friends with Susan Sarandon, and it's like a beautiful beautiful um, loft. And the the bathroom kind of exploded, like boom, you know. And, and all of us backed up. And the assistant, the, a white girl, went towards the toilet to see what was happening. And she called the plumber and did all that. Now, because my our employer was white, had that been me, who had to run towards the toilet to make sure that everything is fine. It's a different view of what the job is than it is when the white assistant went to mm-hmm. the toilet. So we limit our opportunities by unfortunately our history or our, our prejudice of um, you know, where we should be and how we should serve and, and what kind of jobs we should take. And it always breaks my heart because I see people who don't even know how to do the job, you know, because there's not a lot of availability. There are people who can't even do a, a, a spreadsheet. People can't even work anything on Microsoft, getting these massive jobs that pay six figures. And are people getting left in the dust uh, and not getting this opportunity because the assumption is that, oh my God, you're going to be treated like a slave. Mm. You know, well, well, you're going to be exploited. Why, why would you want to do that? You know, why would you want to go from uh, Cordon Bleu and be a great chef and then go cook for a white girl? Like, mm. why would you want to be in, a, in somebody's kitchen? Meanwhile, the person in somebody's kitchen got an apartment for free, got a car for free, has a credit card with a sti- uh, you know, stipend. You got a clothing uh, budget. You can buy yourself clothes that go, you know, for every season. And you get free meals mm. and you get a six-figure salary. Why would you want to limit your, let your prejudice limit you of that? Obviously, that's something that you have to get over by yourself this is something that you have to work through and not kind of be ashamed and kind of understand that this is a job as any and this is an opportunity for you and you can make a good living out of it i remember one of my my favorite (laughs) chats with you Mm -hmm. is when you you were living in riyadh and you were trying to hire for a nanny and y'all were having a hard time and you were like look this is a six-figure position and i for a moment (laughs) was like how bad are these kids and you were like the kids aren't even that bad the kids are great i said and then you started saying well there's a chef there's a driver there's there are people who clean honestly you just have to be in the room with the children and the children were good and i for a moment i was living in cutter thought you know i have degrees i have educate i kids love me i How bad can they be <laughs> I, I whatever i thought a nanny was you just <laughs> totally changed it for me and said girl you really ain't doing much just to make sure the kids stay alive which if you have rational kids they'll try and stay alive exactly and so i you know i I think what I'm most intrigued about your career, obviously you're a girl who grew up in, in, in South Africa mm-hmm. and, and, and the access that you have now is that mm-hmm. I think I want people to understand you didn't come from money. You didn't come yeah. from wealth. You, you didn't come from, mm-hmm. you know, a certain space where, you mm-hmm. know, people already have things given to them and you were able to make a career out of this. Absolutely. And so 
I don't think, yeah, go ahead. I was going to say, obviously, you <laughs> have seen, in, I think in a lot of ways, you've seen a lot of the world through these jobs. Absolutely. I haven't had to pay a penny to travel the world. <laughs> you know, yeah. I mean, you might be the walking billboard. This. <laughs> so where have you, and, uh, you know, I'm not so much concerned with the employer, but yeah. for example, where are some of the places you've able, been able to go, and even if it's for short-term stays through your work? Mm -hmm. Well, wow, where do I start? Um, at the beginning, I think as an au pair, we went, to, well, we went to a ski resort. I had never seen snow, you know, and <laughs> the family had like this nice ski, um, ski home in, um, in Colorado. So that was my first, just like, you know, getting on a plane from, from New York to Colorado. That was like, oh my God, this is great. And then from there, we went to Oregon. You know, and that was like, okay, this is like, it's, it's insane. I think the name of the, the resort there was Timberline, one of the best in the world. And we were, you know, I was on the mountain skiing. And skiing is an expensive sport, you know, Absolutely. activity. So um, I remember it was like $99 an hour for the ski um, thing, instructor to come with me because I didn't know what, what I was doing. Yeah. So that was like my first great experience. And then from there... Um, it was London, uh, as I'd mentioned before. Um, and then from London, we also had a home, uh, one of the families had a home in, in Glimton, they owned Glimton Park. Um, and then I've been to France, not a, Paris, I went by myself, but in, uh, in Niger, France, which is kind of in the, in the, in the border of Switzerland and, uh, and Italy. Mm -hmm. So every day we'd either go to, you know, to Switzerland or we'd go to, mm -hmm. to Italy. And here's what I, I, I've enjoyed with traveling with wealthy people. Mm. Now, whereas me, if I'm going to France, I'm going to, I'm going to Paris. You know, I'm going to see yeah. all, I want to see the Eiffel Tower. Yeah. You know, it's none of that with billionaires. They're not trying to be in touristy, you know, environments. So mm. what the job has done is give me access to the secret spots that billionaires hang out in. Mm. So places like Niger, France, I mean, everybody, most people who are, who are walking the streets of Niger were multimillionaires you could see it because the homes they were living in, uh, these cabins, which are like right under the, 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 the ski resort, uh, were, you know, tens of millions. So that was like great. And then it was Kumaya, Italy, which is an hour away from Niger. Again, another little town that I wouldn't go to. Well, go to Italy, you want to go to Milan. Right. Or, you, you know, just these nice, cute towns that are in movies. And then I went to St. Moritz in, in Switzerland. Mm -hmm. Again, you know, there's a lot of private jets landing onto St. Moritz. It's another, you know, billionaire paradise. So where else did I go? Oh, my goodness. I went to Morocco. I went to, of course, the Middle East. I've been all over the Middle East. The only place that I've really never been to with work is Asia, funny enough. Um, I remember because when I left the Saudi job, we were supposed to go to Tokyo. Mm -hmm. But um, I think something happened there that when the princes were arrested and the families couldn't travel. So yeah, we couldn't go. But yeah, I mean, those are just some of the few places I've been in. And I've been just about all over the US, um, you know, with the families again. And so what this does is it exposes you without you even having to pay a penny. So that's, that's been the beauty of, you know, work. And again, um, I think it's important that, you know, when you mentioned where I grew, how I grew up, I didn't grow up wealthy. I didn't grow up exposed to, to luxuries that I'm now supposed to acquire for the wealthy people. Because what's essentially happening now is that I'm, I'm encountering new billionaires, like new tech billionaires who did not grow up wealthy. So when they start getting all this money, they don't know 
what to do with it. They don't know that they're supposed to have a beach house and a ski cabin and all this stuff. So now I've become some sort of having, Honestly, yes, <laughs> having grown in a township in Gwambashu in Durban where people like it's the ghetto. Uh, if I'm talking about the hood, I grew up in the hood and now here I am dictating to billionaires where their kids should go to school, which brands they can, you know, are, per- you know, are, are, are perceived as acceptable in private schools. Because there's a culture as well in private schools. Mm-hmm. You're not going to show up we- we- wearing, uh, you know, a t-shirt that's boldly written Gucci or Calvin Klein. There's an etiquette to that. They don't do that. The kids don't show up in school with Gucci or whatever t-shirts blasted in somebody's face. It's all low-key. So these are things that you advise, you know, like maybe a young black tech billionaire who wouldn't really know that or maybe a hip-hop superstar who only knows how to be you know ostentatious with like gold chains and whatnot when you bring your child to private school that is not what your child is gonna wear here's so i've become this kind of you know authority of what is acceptable in a certain level of it you know within the one percent and it blows my mind till now now this happened because i got curious I got curious about when my first, when the first experience on, with the yacht. I had to get curious and get magazines about yachts, sign up to blogs about yachts, follow Instagram posts that deal with yachts, and kind of got myself involved in, 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 in um, you know, associations that, have, that deal with booking yachts and all that stuff and, and, and yacht shows and, all, you know, same thing with private jets. When I got exposed to families that want to travel private, so... That's when you don't, you don't get given this experience. You have to be curious about it with art. You know, when you walk into somebody's home and they have a $10 million piece of art, it might be a tiny little, little thing. If you have not exposed yourself into an art space, you won't appreciate that. And what the housekeeper is going to do, she's going to take some chemical and spray that frame that is worth a million dollars and somebody's getting fired. So the point of it is you need a level of curiosity. It doesn't matter where you come from. You have to be curious about whatever line of work that you're into. You, have to, you might not know everything, but you can essentially become an authority on something just based on your curiosity on itself. So, yeah. yeah. So I'm going to say this because it's going to back up what she just said. Yeah. Um, one of my favorite things that <laughs> Abby does, if you follow her on Twitter, and she's got a lot of, a lot of, Twitter followers is that she's very good about educating people for free (laughs) and occasionally getting into, I'm not even going to call them arguments because she knows her craft and people who think they know want to be loud and wrong. But one of my favorite Twitter uh, threads she did, I believe it was last year was for the crowd of women who wanted to know how to marry somebody who was wealthy. (laughs) <laughs> and and I, I literally was minding my own business and woke up the next day and I was looking at my Twitter feed and said, what is going on in this Twitter thread? And she was talking about, okay, you want a wealthy man. Mm-hmm. This is the reality. So I'm going to give you a platform because <laughs> let's be honest and, and, and correct me if I'm wrong. You right now, your focus generally is working with individuals who make at least half a billion or more, right? Absolutely. Okay. So that already blows some people's minds. <laughs> okay. <laughs> but for the folks that are listening and are trying to get that come up, <laughs> okay, 
I'm gonna need you to, to give the Cliff Notes version, i.e. the short ver version of that Twitter thread <laughs> about the reality of you trying to get you someone mm -hmm. that wealthy. And, and I know that you have obviously worked with people in Hollywood as you referenced, you yes. have worked with investment guys, you have worked with royals. So mm -hmm. I think you have kind of a broad spectrum. Absolutely. So for the peoples, go ahead and give them that knowledge. <laughs> Where do I start? Okay. So there's nothing wrong with wanting what they call a soft life, you know, a life where you don't have to wake up in the morning and do a nine to five like everybody, you know, like most people have to. Now let's have this understanding that you are essentially trying to get in within a 1% space. There's 99% of people who, are, who don't have much, who, who work hard. And then there's the billionaires. I mean, they work hard too, but there's only 1% of them. So the line to get to the soft life is, you know, it's not a short one. You're dealing with supermodels. You're dealing with, you know. Oh, Lord. Hold on. Y'all already took the people okay. out. You're dealing with supermodels. <laughs> <laughs> They've already <laughs> taken themselves out, out the race. But go on ahead. <laughs> you know, that's that. I mean, there's different preferences. So it's not like every billionaire is looking for a supermodel, and that's great. Now, here's how a billionaire's home is set up, just so you have an understanding before you walk into that space. Say you take my advice and go skiing in St. Moritz during the ski season. You are absolutely going to bump into a bunch of millionaires and billionaires. You can stay at the Suvretta house at St. Moritz. It's $850 a, a night. It's worth the investment because literally everybody in the pool area, the jacuzzi, the restaurant is wealthy. And there's a lot of wealthy guys who hang around there. So that's, that's your tip. Another place you could go to is El Maui. Um, again, it's the, it's the same setup as, as the, the Suvreta house. And it's, it's all just wealthy guys who are going, going there to do business. And they, they, you know, they, have, um, they, they choose certain places. And those two that I've just named, you find a lot of them. Now, here's what's going to happen once you capture Prince Charming somewhat. You're going to go to his house. He's, you know, you're going to get engaged. You're going to go get to, when you get to his house, the person opening the door is going to be his butler. He's going to send a driver for you to go pick you up. And you're going to come in. It's a nice car. You know, there's that, you're being served water in the car. You're going to get in. The door's going to be opened by the butler. They're going to take your coat and your bag. They're going to empty your bags for you. They're going to straighten them up. They're going to hang your clothes up for you, have them steamed, and you're not going to have to do anything. The chef is going to ask, what would you like to have? and you have whatever you want. And then tomorrow you're gonna wake up and the assistant is basically gonna ask you, you know, is there anything that I can help you with? Now have, understand this, all these people are paid and they all have access to your boyfriend's money, but you don't. Mm -hmm. You will, chances are, you either gonna get a credit card that is monitored by me, or you didn't mention that was part of your job. So anyway, carry on. I mean, I pay bills for them. So right, if, of course. if there's a credit card that goes out, I know it. And anything that gets charged, I have to answer to the accountants. So I will know about the credit card. I will see the charges or I will be the one doing the charges on your behalf. If you have not gotten to a place where you're being handed a credit card. So some people don't have a problem with that. That's great. Now, if you're somebody who don't want to ask somebody else for things and you're somebody who has a sense of independence and you just want to go out and, and buy something for yourself at a Gucci store without anybody kind of following you around, that's, this is not the space for you. One, you're gonna, if, if you want a Gucci bag, 
your bo- your boyfriend is gonna call me and I'm gonna call the Gucci store. The Gucci store is gonna send a stylist with like 15 bags. The bags are gonna be there. You're gonna get the bag, but you're not gonna get the experience of just getting in the car and going shopping. Mm. So the, it changes. Now, as wonderful as that is, with time, the home of the billionaire starts to feel like a prison mm. because everything is being brought in and you are being watched because essentially you pose a threat. If you get, do get married, you pose a threat of, one, taking half of this guy's money and running off with it. The staff is not going to let you do that. They're comfortable here. So they're all watching you. you got the security detail. If, if the person is security detail, you got those people watching your every move. If it's not the security detail, the driver whose car you've been given and you're telling all your friends, hey, you know, I'm in the car. The driver is tasked to report every movement wherever you go to either your boyfriend or to me because that's how we maintain, that's how we figure out the expenses of the household how far you go, how many times and all that, where do you go? That is all important information. A billionaire thrives on having information. Information is, you know, you see, you go on every website, they collect information. Information is power. They want to know your every move because just in case you're plotting to do something, they want to know. They might not be the ones watching, but I'm watching, the team is watching, the driver's watching, the chef is watching. So, as great as it might be at the beginning to really fly private jets, to really live in, you know, have several homes, none of which are in your name, because most of the things that belong to billionaires are under either a trust or under a company. Or, right. So you, you, don't, you, have, um, you have proximity of wealth, but mm. you don't have access to wealth. Man, you know one thing you didn't include? <laughs> no, then that, by the way, that was crazy informative. Mm-hmm. One thing you did, because I, I remember this because I remember laughing. Yeah. You, so you, you mentioned, of course, the ski resorts where to bump into one. <laughs> yeah. I remember, I think yeah. you were trying to explain uh, if someone is trying to meet a billionaire, yeah. that they shouldn't travel in packs, that they should travel individually. And I think you did hit on in terms of yeah. go to where they are and where you were recommending it at, at, mm-hmm. you know, at the bar or whatever. Mm-hmm. You were like, no, there's certain places in addition yes. to, of course, what you mentioned. Yes. Yeah. Yes. I mean, definitely, you know, you cannot be going in packs. Then you look like you're on a hunt. <laughs> because you're in a pack. A right. pack goes in for a hunt. Right. And so automatically... You know, that's a no-no. That's not what, that's not where a wealthy person is going to approach you and you. This whole thing, the guys who do this thing of inviting you and your friends over to, uh, you know, the VIP section, those are usually people without a lot of money. <laughs> they don't want to give an impression. They're right. not trying to impress anybody. A really wealthy person is not out there trying to chase a bunch of girls, buying them a, a bunch of dreams. It's, it's basically... They're very, they live a very isolated life. They mm. live a, a very private life. And if you're going to wait for 10 of your girls for y'all to waltz into the bars at, at, at Suvretta House are not packed. There's like mm. six or seven people there. You're going to walk in with 10 girls. You are automatically, uh, nobody's looking at you. Nobody's wow. looking at that because it's clear what's, what's happening. You're like sharing a room. You know, you're like trying to come in here and be on a camera automatically I would tell my boss that that's what's happening. You know, mm-hmm. they're not trying, nobody's trying to get exposed like that. A wealthy person's life is very private. And if you cannot be a person who moves around by yourself with your, with your partner, 
like your 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 billionaire for your future bay is not trying to get you and your friends anywhere all over the place. It's it's not what they're trying to do because mm. now you got you you're too exposed. You're someone who who has an extension of people that you deal with, and nobody's trying to deal with that. They want someone who's capable of being by themselves. You are easy to approach when you're by yourself, first of all. And, and you look independent, and you look like you know you know you can exist in this life. You look like you belong in a certain place without needing 10 people to help you help get a room at a certain hotel. So you basically have said, and I, I feel like this is a theme in everything you've said, though. Yeah. It's really an investment in yourself, right? Because Absolutely. you're saying it. If you're going to spend, yeah. you're going to spend $850 at a night mm-hmm. at, at a very expensive hotel, I assume you're going to spend money on to look well because you don't want to spend $900 plus with tax and then still look raggedy. Mm-hmm. And now this is interesting because obviously you, and you've worked with all kinds of folks, but you mentioned yeah. for those who are looking for a billionaire husband. Yeah. Now for those <laughs> who are looking for a billionaire wife, do the room, do the rules still apply though oh my gosh the ones who are looking for me and my wife that you know it's never i've worked for single ladies and it's a different ball game it's a different ball game for them because men are used to this thing of wanting to be providers hmm. so when a woman is already flying high in certain spaces by herself you know the only other person they can meet is someone who's in that caliber you know that kind of lifestyle so if a woman is already hanging out in you know in in ski resorts by herself she has more of a a a better chance of bumping into somebody who's just as wealthy as her than someone who's trying to climb up so that that's the difference different dichotomy absolutely absolutely yeah because i mean it's it's hard to find a 25 year old man figuring okay i'm gonna spend 900 dollars to go on the hunt that's (laughs) us that's us women we're the ones who plot like that you know (laughs) You will go all out. But for a guy, you're going to get there and the woman's going to expect you to pay the bill. Right. And you're going to be screwed. So <laughs> it's, you're just going to get busted. So yeah. Yep. Now I'm curious. I, I know you've worked with all types of people, as I said. Mm-hmm. Have you worked with any ultra wealthy black folks yet? One. One ultra wealthy black folk. And that was the one that, I, that helped me. Wait, that's where I got that. I found that magazine. I was mm. with. Yes, yes. He, he so, was a he was a hedge fund manager um, in Manhattan, and you know it was such. A, again, it, here's the funny part: because after that experience, I decided that I will never work for, and you know, African American particularly uh, family again. And this is no shade, no shade to my people. Mm. You know, um, the thing about it is when you work for. A certain like maybe a Jewish family. Most of them in the family are usually wealthy. If they're not, they keep separate lives from their not wealthy families. You will only see the other family members, whether they get invited for Thanksgiving or for a birthday party. They will come in as guests. That's the etiquette. Then they will leave as guests. Hmm. Now with my people, (laughs) once there's that one rich rapper or whoever. There's cousins coming in, Lord. there's aunties coming in, there's, you know, the friend that you grew up from the block that's coming in. And not everybody's like this. Right. My experience was that people looked at me and thought, oh, she's getting paid all that money. I could do that job. Hmm. So when there's always a cousin who can watch the kids, there's always a cousin who can be a driver. There's always an auntie who can do this or that. 
then you kind of don't feel secure in your position mm. because you kind of feel like if the wife decides she doesn't like me right now, because there's always someone who marries into the money. If somebody marries into the money and finds me here and her sister doesn't have a job, I'm out. The sister's coming in. You don't find that a lot with, there's a good separation between family and employees when it comes to different races than it is with our people. Our people have, we have a say, and I'm like that too. I will look out for my sisters first before I look out for somebody else who's a stranger. Blood is always thicker than water. Yeah. If I have an opportunity, if I'm in a job and I, you know, I, I have a potential to hire and my sister is a chef, the first person I'm calling for that chef job is my sister. Yeah. I would literally get somebody out to get my sister in. And that's, that, that's, that's just usually how we do. Yeah. It's, it's called looking out. Once you climb up, you got to look out for the family. And I had, you know, a lot of that, um, which is people who came in and being unnecessarily aggressive towards me because one, I was being called bougie. Oh, they have that bougie assistant, that bougie nanny, you know, and I didn't know what made me bougie, you know. Um, and then, of course, it was always somebody was offering, hey, uncle, hey, uncle, what, what, you know, I could do that job, you know, can I be your driver? So now I'm facing a situation where I have to explain to the driver why he's getting fired because... Cousin Ricky here has come in and offered to drive. And that never really worked because Cousin Ricky is not going to have all the etiquette or the training or just the boundaries that a, a professional driver would have. Now, I'm dealing with, uncle, with, 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 with Brother Ricky here because, and he's being rude, doesn't listen to the rules, doesn't show up on time. And it takes the whole thing out of, it makes the whole thing mm. out of whack. So that, that was my experience. And then I would not work for, for hip hop stars. Um, there's just um, reason being is that once you get into the money, there's the, the, the culture dictates that you have to go back to where you come from and be with your Lamborghini, drive around and then drink and then drive and then you die. You know, that's usually, they don't, they, there's, um, there's a, a thing that people re resist, accepting that they've now moved into a totally different dynamic. They want to still, our people have this thing of you want to be wanting to be cool. Right. You still want to go into your old hood. Like I'm saying, you want to drive a, first of all, once you make a certain amount of money, you have, you need to get into certain spaces, especially your own neighborhood where you have beef with somebody, you're a rap star, you, you know, there's guns involved, there's some violence involved. I would walk into that space and offer you my advice before you go into your old hood. Can I give you security? Can we get security to drive you? then nobody wants that. They want to be the one pulling up, rolling down the, you know, the neighborhood and whatnot. And when something happens, I'm not going to be able to even continue working in the industry because I endangered my previous principal by not being able to give him proper information. Hmm. So there's a type of personality that I would not work for. And unfortunately, it just happens to be my people, more of my people. I mean, I, I wouldn't work for Eminem either. You know, not, not to say it's, you know, just predominantly a black thing, but cul the culture of what, how a person has made their money is really very important. Like I, I avoid, now I even avoid working for movie stars. Hmm. I will not work for Kim Kardashian. You know, I have anybody who has paparazzi following them, I choose not to work with them because it has a different layer of you having to go through the back of the hotel. When you book in a hotel, you have to say a different name and then, you know, make sure that there's just literally 10 different layers to having somebody whose life is in the limelight. So it's not just, again, my own people that I wouldn't work for. 
I've chosen to get away from Hollywood mm -hmm. completely. And I do not work for fashion designers. You know, it's just people who are in the limelight, I don't, I don't work for. So thank you for kind of breaking that down because I think most average people don't even know the nuances Yes. of the different, you know, I think most of us just see wealth, but we don't realize the different yeah. categories and what that provides. And you're right. Yeah, so yeah. many people are super wealthy. We don't know their names. Exactly. There's the handful that we know, maybe in the tech industry, exactly. there's some that we know that are flashy because of celebrity, because of fame mm -hmm. and, and mm -hmm. maybe they're actors or musicians, but I mm -hmm. think many of us don't know that. And, and it actually makes me think about the next question. Mm -hmm. So you obviously have had a certain level of success in your career. You've moved a lot mm -hmm. um, professionally and have seen a lot. How, how then do you feel like, and I know this is adjacent to an earlier question, but yeah, you know, your folks back in South Africa, like how do they see you? My mom, I would always, I will always be her, her, her daughter. She, she doesn't treat me any different when I get home. It's basically like, where are you? I'm closing the gate. It's 10 o'clock, you know, <laughs> you know, it's the usual, like my mom, as long as, you know, we take care of her. She doesn't really even get that involved. She doesn't even care. You know, like, unless there's like, oh, you're going on a radio interview. Okay, I'll tune in. It's never, she's my mom, you know, she, that's it. There's no, she doesn't get like starstruck, so to say, you know, when we get there. Because honestly, that, that's, that's where you go to relax and to take off any kind of image that you have. And if you cannot do that with your parents, I don't know who you could do that with. Um, it's it's the reason why it's so hard right now during COVID because you can't really go home and kind of just be, you know, and that's the beauty of just um, family members who really just uh, accept you and appreciate you for, for who you are, not because of what you do or what you've become. So I'm fortunate in that sense that mom has never really changed her views about, mm -hmm. you know, who my sisters and I are at the moment um, because it could, it definitely, I've seen it. I've seen where, you walk in and it's just like, oh my God, this is going to be about my job, isn't it? You know, the whole time. And it just, again, you have to stay in a certain bubble and not just relax. So yeah, no, it's, it's, it's pretty simple with my family. And fortunately, that's, that's my source of love. And also my, on my father's side, they're very isolated. They live like they live in a, in a farm, like still in a, in a farm is surrounded by sugar cane. Like they're not into social media like that. They don't care. When you walk in, they cook for you, you know, they put meat on the barbecue and it's just like love. So yeah, that's really, I, I miss that too. You know, I, 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 I truly appreciate that because I feel like you need a little bit of that, of a reminder of who you are and my family, you know, I'm, I'm so blessed that they, they are those people. Yeah. And, and what do you see from, like I said, you, you've got a pretty big social media following mm -hmm. just from the random South Africans who don't, who aren't family. Yes. How, how do you, how, what is always the reaction to your story? <laughs> There's different reactions. There's different reactions. One is of resentment. Mm. You're bragging, you know, oh, we should hear from you because what? You think you're better than us because you live overseas and you hang out with rich people. Um, and with everybody, I guess there's always going to be that side. Um, and then there's people who really appreciate and want to learn more. And those are people that I usually try, I'm always trying to reach out to because my whole idea of oversharing, and I do, is that maybe there's a little girl who's growing up like me and they can have this kind of, you know, that you don't have to do a four-year four degree to get to a successful point. 
you can do two-month training. If you can get somebody to give you this money, here's what can happen. You can go for training. You can make, um, you know, come out of there, have a job abroad. That's, that's my take on it. What does this job look like? Oh, look where I am now. I'm here with work. Can you see how this could be for you? That is how it is for me. That's how I usually bring it up. But how people accept it, it's crazy. I mean, some people come in and want to argue. I had somebody say that I'm living a fake life. You know, uh, I live in people's houses and I drive people's cars. And, I, you know, like I, I have nothing. You have nothing. This is what, oh, and I thought to myself, how is it that it's a bad thing that I drive a Tesla Model X that I don't have to pay for? How is that a bad thing? How, is, how can that possibly? So that's the thing, you know, there's always going to be some shade cast when someone is feeling some type of way or you're taking too much shine from them and you, you're acting all like everybody should look at it. That's not what it's about for me. For me, it's because I never had a, bl a blueprint. There was no blueprint before me. There was nobody I knew a black woman or even a black man who did what I, who does what I do. Mm -hmm. So if I can be that face or someone that another black girl can reach out to, um, I'm happy to give out that information for free. So how that's received by someone who doesn't need that information, none of my business. And that's where most of my beef usually comes from on Twitter, you know, on <laughs> social media. <laughs> Y'all, she gets into some. Oh my she gets into some I'm like, she had time today. I man, I watched one beef over a T-shirt. Like, These people are really arguing with her over I know. what kind of T-shirt Bill Gates would wear. And I know. I'm, but I'm, I'm like, like, I saw for people like Bill Gates. I know, right? And that's the part that killed me is that literally yeah. people were going in, and I thought. You have never been near someone who makes that kind of money. I don't even know. It's all, you know, it's all theoretical. And then you meet yeah. someone who knows the practical and it's, exactly. it's hilarious. Exactly. The, the sad part about that is that there's, there's an assumption that, oh, when, when poor people uh, get money, this is what they buy. But look at what, look at what the, the rich guy is wearing. He's just wearing a black t-shirt. I'm like, that black t-shirt? could buy your house, you know, yeah. a few of the, a few of these black t-shirts, whatever yeah. car installment that you pay, that's basically what that is. So yeah, it's just, I guess it's a lack of knowledge, I suppose, but we're, we're, we're grown up to, we're, we're raised to kind of be resentful of success for, for some reason, hmm. you know, it's, it, you're told to, to feel guilty when you're doing well, you're supposed to hide. Once you do well, don't mention it. You're sitting in a nice place. Don't show people because you don't want them to feel this way. And that's what gives the success a bad, a bad, a, a bad um, reputation. Mm -hmm. And there is absolutely nothing wrong with being successful and nothing wrong with celebrating how hard you've worked. Mm -hmm. So I think that's another issue is that I'm supposed to be humble about how I've gotten to where I've gotten. And I'm supposed to say nothing and keep quiet and hide because then it makes an insecure person feel great about themselves. They don't have to look up and see somebody else doing better. The more quiet, the more they silence you about your success, the more they seem like they don't have to confront their mediocrity. And that's the issue. Yeah. And I, I, I know one of the things I've watched you actually really confront and, and, and deal with has been those attacks from folks who, who look at you and go, man, like, you know, they don't want to say that there's envy of the success, but it's mm -hmm. like, why, why she, right? 
like you said, Kate, you didn't come from money, Mm -hmm. was born and raised in the hood, Mm -hmm. dark skinned black woman. There you go. That's certain level of school. You didn't go to Mm -hmm. the the certain name schools and now you have this kind of life. Absolutely. There's the, the success looks a certain way. Success is light skin, flowy hair, skinny, you know, tall, uh, comes from a private school background and, you know, grew up being dropped off by a driver or whatever. Yeah. And, and there's a lot of those people who grew up like that, but never really reached the level of success that I have. Hmm. So that's where it starts being like, who the heck do you think you are coming to sit at this table? Because yeah. you don't belong here. And then there's that thing where people who know nothing, you know, and they think, surely you can't be successful looking like that. That's part of it. That's part of it. It's just like, how? How can you be brown and thick and short and, and come from, you know, a township, a hood somewhere and tell us you're dictating, you're dictating luxury to billionaires? Who the heck do you think you are? When you yourself have limits, you start thinking that everybody else has those. Now, you don't understand that I don't sleep. I say, I up till 3 a.m., learning about something that I'm going to go teach you a billionaire tomorrow. That's me. That's what I do. While you're sleeping comfortably, having a soft life, doing your regular nine to five and being, you know, comfortable. I am making myself uncomfortable every day so that I can learn something new that could give me a better life than the next person. It's okay if you want to be, you know, be, be do just like the bare minimum. That's fine too. Because, you know, for some people mentally, they can't handle being blasted with like, 10 hours or 15, 16 hours of work a day. And that is okay. I want to shop in Dubai for my next collection of clothes. Obviously, I have to work better than, harder than the person who's going to go walk down the street and go to Macy's to shop. And that's the thing. We have different needs and wants. My wants are going on vacation in, you know, to France. I want to drive a certain car. I live in a luxury apartment. So obviously, I'm going to make myself a bit more uncomfortable for a couple of, uh, of, of, of days a week for a couple of hours a day just so that I can have that life. Now, the next person wants to sit here and be like, it doesn't look like that. It, sh- it shouldn't look like that. You don't understand. I put in three extra hours a day than the other person, no matter what they look like. And that is obviously going to give me an edge at every given point. So that's, that, that I think is, is what people don't understand, that you, you have to aspire to something. You have to visualize and you have to you know, develop yourself and work towards it. It's, it has nothing to do with how you look. Absolutely nothing. Yeah. I told y'all she's the original hustler. <laughs> yeah, I mean, she just gave y'all the word. That's, that's the word. And so as, as we start to wrap up, I've been doing this thing called the lightning round. Mm-hmm. And I basically, three questions. I feel, I feel like they're not stressful, but people that's be getting stressed uh... out. All right. Number one, mm-hmm. you've been a lot of places. What's the favorite place you visited? Michelle, France. Why? Because, I mean, there was low-key luxury, but it was there. The homes were made of, of, of wood, but on the inside, there were Michelin star chefs. Like, it was insane. You know, there was the most low-key, we're wealthy, but you're not going to know unless you know type of environment that I've ever been in. Like, it wasn't flashy, but people were very calm, and, and you know, they enjoyed themselves, and and, and, and they living in ultimate luxury. It was like royal family here, billionaire there, you know, and, but nobody, everybody could walk the streets, but unless you knew, you didn't know. Yep. So I absolutely, like I told my sisters, we have to go because 
like yeah they can't wait i'm like we got we gotta go to museum it's not somewhere where everybody goes but we gotta go yep all right you're south african what's the most what's the most underrated city you think in the country i think it's durban absolutely when you talk (laughs) about south africa everybody goes like oh my god i've been to cape town i went on safari i was in durban and that's great i come from durban durban is like the miami of of Mm. south africa it's like the fun the, the fun city the music is from there. Like, I mean, there's music in Joburg too, but like, you know, there's like a really different musical vibe there. And there's like a lot of authenticity in terms of, of culture because they have Zulu people. Mm. Um, you could go to um, a, a bit further north and you can get to see and feel just like the, the hospitality of the Zulu people. You know, they're known for being respectful. They're known for being stubborn, but they're known for being very hospitable. So I really, I absolutely think people should, and they could go to Drakensberg and, you know, it's really just like, there's such beautiful views of the mountains and the beach. It's, it's really somewhere to see for sure. But again, I think for Durban, it's underrated because you kind of need somebody who knows, who can show you all mm. the good spots. So it's not like, you know, Cape Town is ultra touristy and Johannesburg is the big city. So, yeah. Mm-hmm. Last question. Mm-hmm. What is the most ridiculous vacation you've been on that your younger self wouldn't even believe that you've been able to go on? <laughs> ridiculous. St. Moritz, Switzerland. Why? Yes. I mean, like I'm saying, $900, $850 for a room. You know, like, if you convert that to South African hands, a lot of people don't even make that a month, okay? And I was there for two weeks. Mm-hmm. So, and, you know, you, you can go there. You can't you can get there unless you know. It's one of those places. And I remember sitting on in, in the jacuzzi, like, you know, and there was like, the I was watching the view. It was like snow-capped. And I'm sitting in like this hot, you know, the, the jacuzzi is hot. It's outside, right? In the, so when you get out, it's literally like snow. And right inside, there was like, from outside, you could see the glass. And in there, there was like a, a massive pool. And of course, there was like maybe six or seven billionaires hanging out there who had landed with private jets. I'm like, I looked at myself, I'm like, oh my God. Like I took my phone while I was in the jacuzzi, it was still, I gotta take a selfie of this, you know, just, just myself so I can really see that this is happening. So that was one of the most outrageous moments because just understanding the price tag of it all, how I would really, I mean, Wow. So yeah, that, that was. Ma'am, did you say $907 a day? I mean, you know. We and got, you were there for 14 Exactly. So think about that, you know, um, but I understood. I understand that money gives you privacy. It isn't, it isn't necessarily the most beautiful hotel I've been in in the world. Mm-hmm. That is not the most beautiful hotel but is one of the most private hotels. Mm. You, again, you have to know, and privacy, wealthy people will pay anything for privacy. It could be a log cabin somewhere in the woods where if they're gonna get their privacy, they will pay $15,000 a night for it. So wow. that's basically what I mean when I say to you, don't go with your, 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 crowd, your crew, because if you're, you're, dealing, you're looking at, for somebody who wants, who loves their privacy, they're not trying to have 10 of your girls prying into their lives. Yeah. And if they get the feeling that you're, you're a person who enjoys being around a lot of people. It's just, it's not going to work. Yeah. Mm-hmm. 
Oh my gosh. Well, thank you so much for giving us some insight. I, I, I think that, as I said at the beginning, you have access to a world that most people don't. And so loved having you on, Abby. Probably will drag you on later on at some time to talk about something different. But uh, if you are, if you want to check her out, she is on Twitter. And I believe it's at what is their Twitter account? I should know it. But. At Abby Gugubanda. <laughs> All right. I'll probably throw it in the show notes, but she is on Twitter. And I will say, I mean, it is a very entertaining Twitter account, but more importantly, <laughs> when she feels like dropping some knowledge about what she does, it definitely could be helpful for those of you who just want to learn a little bit more or at least get insight from a Black woman who's doing it. So thank you so much for tuning in and we'll check you out or check us out next time. Thank you. Thank you so much for having me. <laughs> the Global Chatter from the Black Expat is hosted by me, Amanda Bates. It is executive produced by Justin Williams. You can find all episodes of The Global Chatter on Spotify, Apple, or wherever you listen to your podcast. Save big on Brunch for Mom, all in the Kroger app. Get 16-ounce packs of flavorful Angus 90% Lean Ground Sirloin for $4.99 each with a digital coupon. Then buy two, get two free on 12 packs of delicious Coca-Cola, Pepsi, or 7-Up, all with your card. Shop these deals at your local Kroger today or tap the screen now to download the Kroger app to save big today. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Prices and product availability subject to change. Restrictions apply. See site for details.